0: The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 24. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Amen. Heaven, the Lord of hosts, the King of the universe, we gather together today as your people to bow our heads and to bow our hearts in worship that we might glorify and lift up the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for this special season of worship and time to set aside our hearts that we might consider and remember the great story of you sending the Lord Jesus for his first advent into the world to be a little baby, and to die for His people. Lord, we thank You and praise You for the work of salvation that You have done that we come today to worship before You and to praise Your name. Lord, we pray that You would fill us with Your Spirit, that all we do and say and think would be for Your glory, and that You would receive this offering of worship from our hearts as we do so by faith. And Lord, we join our hearts together as Your people the church now. And pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily
1: bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.
0: For thine is the kingdom." Power and, and the glory forever. forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles Creed. It's on page 845 in the hymnal. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost. the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy they rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor is in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given." As we continue to worship now, turn in your hymnal to number 196 as we sing together, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. Time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. Good morning. It's good to see you. Might have to scooch in a little bit. It's just enough of us to fill up the front. Wonderful. Well, this morning is the second Sunday in Advent. Can anybody tell me how many candles are burning on the table? Two. It's the second Sunday. Does anybody know what the second candle is for? It's the the Bethlehem candle or the faith candle. And I want to read a verse to you from the Old Testament book of Micah, chapter 5. It says in verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah... Yet one of you shall come forth to me, the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Can anybody guess who that's about? Who's that ruler who's from of old? God. Would you say king? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus coming. It was, it was a prophecy about Jesus that out of what city? Do you remember? Bethlehem. Bethlehem? Out of Bethlehem that's called the city of David. And who's David? Do you remember who he was? He was the king. Of Israel. He was the king of Israel. And what God had <laughs> promised to His people was that He would. He said to them in a covenant, "I will make a promise to you that one of your people will always sit on the throne of David." Guess who that is? Jesus. Jesus. He will sit on that throne. That He would come from Bethlehem. So guess where Jesus was born then? In Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. Are you noticing a theme that God makes a promise and then he keeps that promise? And sometimes he has to remind his people, don't forget I made this promise. Even though you may not see it right now, it's coming. Wait for it. I am good with my word. I will keep it. So I want to pray for you as we lit the faith candle today. I want to pray that you would believe by faith that the Lord Jesus is who he says he is and that he saves his people who trust in him. Let's close our eyes and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love that you shed abroad in our hearts and that you came into this world as a little baby, even into the city of Bethlehem, that you would come and live a perfect life and offer up your perfect sinless life as a sacrifice for us on the cross and that you would rise victoriously over the grave and sit upon the throne of David forever, ruling and reigning in the hearts of your people, and throughout all of the world that you've made. Lord, I pray for our covenant children this morning that as they hear this story again, the story of the Lord Jesus coming into the world as a little baby, that you would give them the gift of faith, that they would have hope in believing that this Jesus came not just into the world, but he came for me. He died for my sins, that I might be a child of the living God. Lord, we look in faith to the day when our covenant children, who have not yet called upon your name, will do so by faith. And we look at this as a hope and a promise because You have said that You deal with families in covenant. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading Psalm 106 verses 1 to 23 and 47 and 48. It's on page 823 in the hymnal. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Praise the Lord. The Lord for good, his love forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord or fully declare His praise? Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them. We have sinned, even as our fathers did. We live in and when our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, to make his mighty power known. Through the he saved them from the hand of the foe, from the hand of the enemy he redeemed them. The, of the not one survive. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. In the desert, they gave in to their craving. In the of God, he so he gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease upon them. In the camp, they were the, the, the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan. It buried the company of Abiram. At Horeb they made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal. They, they their glory for an bull,
1: which
0: he they forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt. In the land of heaven, and all so he said he would destroy them. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from the nations. Let your holy name, and your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together as we continue to worship and sing hymn number 223. pastoral prayer time, I wanted to pray specifically uh, for our school teachers at this time of year um, as they seek to finish out the semester well, but also seek to be a witness even in ways that might seem small or insignificant, but also that the Lord would give them endurance as they finish, uh, that they would trust and hope in the strength the Lord has provided. And I also want to pray this morning uh, for those who are lost in the world. Those who do not know the hope of the Savior, and the blessedness of the Gospel, that the Lord would draw them to Himself and that He would use even us to spread the Gospel. Let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven who sits upon the throne, we come to You now as Your people, as Your children, sons and daughters of the living God, and cry out to You, Abba, Father, as You have put Your Spirit in us and upon us, that we would turn our hearts to You and pray with the petitions of our soul. Lord, we come to You sometimes in weakness and in lack of faith and sometimes in unbelief. And Lord, we cry out to You today that You would fill our hearts with faith and hope and joy in believing. Believing that You are good, that You are there, and that You care about our lives. Lord, we lift up to You those in our body here who are struggling physically who are struggling mentally and emotionally to deal with this time of year and the path that you have given them to walk. Lord, we pray for those who have struggled over a long period of time with physical and um, difficulties that are beyond words, even to put into prayers. And Lord, we pray that you would be mighty among them, that you would have your hand upon them and that you would use us even in small ways to help relieve the suffering of our brothers and sisters. As you make us able to do it. Lord I lift up to you our school teachers. In our midst here and throughout Fairfield County. On university campuses as they seek to serve you. By serving young people. And training young minds. Lord I pray that you would give them endurance as they finish this semester. And I pray the same for our homeschooling moms. That they would finish well. That students would finish well this semester. That many things that might distract their students that you would help them to have patience and endurance. And Lord, I pray for activities and meetings and other things that will happen in schools, that they wouldn't be a distraction to our people. And Lord, I pray for those who are teaching in places that are hard to work, where administration might hear but not understand. Lord, I pray that you would give them a soft heart to believe that you have them there on purpose. And Lord, I do pray for those among us That we might see day in or day out. We work with or go to school with. Those that we recreate with. Or those that we might see at the store. Those who don't know you Lord. We cry out to you for the sake of lost people. Who the Bible says we once were. Having no hope and without God in the world. And you called us to yourself. Lord we pray for people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And for Christmas season coming up. It is not a time of rejoicing in the birth of a Savior. At best, it is a hope in getting something that we could unwrap under the table or under the tree that might give us hope and salve our hearts. Because we sense guilt before a living God. Because we sense judgment from that living God. And because we're hoping to find peace in any way we can find it. Lord, may we as your people share the hope of the gospel in a loving way that Jesus came as a little baby. He really did. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. And the gospel that we proclaim is that he rose again from the dead. Lord, help us as your people, the church, to have hope in the resurrection, not in the things that we have or the things that we hope to have in just a few weeks. Lord, help us to hope in you and to trust you that Jesus came to deliver us from our sins, that we might live unto God. In Jesus' name, amen. your Bibles to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. 1 Samuel, chapter 1. We're going to be reading selections here from 1 Samuel, chapter 1, and we're going to be studying and looking uh, throughout this first chapter this morning with the sermon entitled, For This Child I Prayed. We'll begin in verse 8 this is the word of the Lord. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul. And prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And then going to verse 19. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. And then verse 24. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her. With three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli, and she said, "O oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here, praying to the Lord for this child. I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of Him." Therefore, I have also lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today is the second Sunday in Advent. We have been uh, began a series last week called Unto Us a Child is Born. And the sermon this morning is entitled, For This Child I Prayed. Looking at the pregnancy... In the time leading up to the pregnancy and just after, when Hannah cried out to the Lord and He blessed her womb and gave her Samuel. Advent is the four week period following Thanksgiving. And like a pregnancy, the Advent season as we anticipate the first coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ includes anticipation, pain and frustration, preparation and contemplation of future indescribable joy. Advent is not the main event of this season. It anticipates the main event, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. As a reminder, as we have read through 1 Samuel and some verses in 1 Samuel 1 this morning, it's said at the end of the time of the book of Judges, their world was in a terrible upheaval. Politically, They had multiple enemies on every side. Israel was being hit from every direction. Economically, things were in a downturn. You might remember as we studied the book of Ruth earlier this year, there was reason for Elimelech to leave the land that he loved, Bethlehem, and go to Moab and sojourn there. And spiritually, it was in a time of upheaval as well. It was a time of great unbelief among God's people. Those who had gone with Joshua into the land and to conquer the enemies of God, those people had passed away. And there rose up a generation of people who lived and existed based on the blessings that God had given His people. But they lived mostly in unbelief. And it says at the end of the book of Judges, That there was no king in Israel at that time. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In Judges, we see a picture of the general decay of morals and unity among God's people. This was not a description of the world. This was a description of Israel. It was a time of rot and corruption. It was one of the saddest times in the history of the people of God. That's the background for the beginning of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel focuses in chapter 1 on the domestic life of one family, Elkanah and his wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Elkanah must have been a man of particular means, as we'll see that he had two wives and every year made a trip to Shiloh to worship the Lord. But particularly, it's Hannah's story. As we see in chapter 1, verse 2, Hannah has no children. She is known as a barren woman. It was the reason why Elkanah has another wife, Peninnah. And where we see in chapter 1 that God is at work both to answer prayers and to provide for this family. But also in providing for this family, He provides for a nation of people. To remind them that God is on the throne. He keeps His promises. He hears prayers. He's faithful to His covenant. Even when we are not. So this morning as we look at this passage and as we look at chapter 1, we're going to do so under three headings. Number one, God at work in the details. Number two, God remembers Hannah. And lastly, God provides for His church. So number one, God at work in the details. We've talked about some of the circumstance of this family's life, where they were living, and the makeup of the family. Elkanah was a man of particular means. He has a very detailed genealogy at the beginning of chapter 1. He has two wives. He's able to support them both. And he's able to support children. He has flocks and herds. He is a man of means. He's able to travel, to go to Shiloh once a year to worship God, to participate in a feast and a festival. One of his wives, Peninnah, has children. She was able to do what Hannah could not. Elkanah's hand was forced if he was going to have an heir, if his house was to live on in the nation of Israel, he took matters into his own hands. And Panina does have children. She gave him an heir. We see that the circumstance of this family is that they were a worshiping family. They were the exception among many in Israel in that day. And yearly they made the trip to Shiloh to worship God at the tabernacle there and to make sacrifices to him. They came with offerings, they didn't come empty-handed. It says that when the sacrifice was made and the time of the offering came, that Elkanah would take portions and give to Peninnah for she and for her children. But then he would turn to Hannah, his beloved. And he would hand to her not just a portion for herself. It says in chapter 1 that he would give her a double portion. That he would put it in her hand specifically. And you might wonder, well, why would he do that? Why be so extravagant? <coughs> Or why put in her face year after year? I'm giving you this, but I realize you don't have children. Why would he remind her that way? In chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, we see that this time of worship was not particularly a cheery time for Hannah, for it says her rival, Peninnah, also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her. I cannot imagine what this must have been like, that every time they came to worship the Lord, Panina would say something, would give a little jab. Oh, I just hope I didn't forget anybody today. I hope everybody's clothed and everybody's cleaned up and we're all going to get there okay. Oh, and by the way, Hannah, I forgot to tell you I'm pregnant again. Can you imagine that kind of prodding and pushing that kind of provocation that happened year after year after year. It was a reminder to Hannah of her childlessness. But to Panina it was also a reminder. Because every time they did the offering, she would watch as Elkanah came and he would give a portion to she and to her children. But then he would go and get a double portion. Maybe this year. Maybe this year the children that I gave him will cause him to love me and that's for me. And he would pass her by and go to Hannah. And the double portion would go to her. And she was reminded year after year that children don't buy love. The double portion went to Hannah. God's at work in the details of this family's life. We see that in the circumstances. But we also see it in the desperation of Hannah's heart. In chapter 1 verse 7 it says that she wept. Every year they went she wept and she did not eat. Have you been in this place? dear people of God, where the troubles that trouble your heart are so much that it changes your appetite for actual food. It says that after the time of the offering was over and after the other people had eaten and had their fill, that she left the table and she went back to the tabernacle. She went through the door where Eli the priest was. And with bitterness of soul and with anguish in her heart, she cried out to the Lord, though her lips didn't move. She longed for a child for years. Every year they made this trip. It was a reminder, I don't have children. And she longed in her heart, I wish I had a son. She had an awful rivalry with Elkanah's other wife, Penina. She was loved by Elkanah, but it was an inadequate comfort. You see in verse 8, these words that he said to her. He asked three why questions. Like husbands tend to do. Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? I gave you plenty. Why don't you eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? I know you long for a son, dear. But am I not better to you than ten sons? One writer said it would have been better for him to have said. To comfort the heart of his wife. You are better to me than ten sons. I love you. Of course she loved him. That wasn't the point. Her heart was grieved because she didn't have a baby to hold. And this other woman who lived in her house was a constant reminder of what she might have called in herself a failure. I'm a failure as a wife. I'm a failure. I'm never going to be a mom. I'll never know what it's like to hold my baby. And here she is holding them and flaunting them in front of me. And we see in in her prayer... That she runs to the Lord with her bitterness and anguish. She doesn't run away. And she has this very odd encounter with Eli there in the tabernacle. In Psalm 142 verse 2, I think these might be words to describe Hannah's heart. She say, It says there, I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. Look at her vow that she made in verse 11. This is Hannah's vow. As she asks the Lord, look upon the affliction of your maidservant. She asks, using the word three times, maidservant. She knows her place before the Lord. She knows that she is living in His world. It's not her world and everybody else is living in it. It's His. She hasn't made this the only part of her life, but it is the affliction of her soul. It's the cross that she's bearing at this particular time in her life. And she's asking, Lord God of heaven, Lord of hosts, she says, would you please remember me and not forget? Do you believe God has forgotten you? Do you believe that he remembers? He's faithful to you as your heavenly father. She pours out her heart. It says to the Lord of hosts, we sing that phrase in Martin Luther's Reformation hymn, Lord Sabaoth, his name. From age to age, the same. Here, Hannah is praying to that God. This is clearly not a provincial, ethnic mascot. No deity emeritus of an Israelite ghetto. This is the Lord of hosts. Hannah's God. His very title calls our faith to stretch. And all of our imagination to catch up to the omnipotence of the one who sits upon the throne. She addresses the Lord of hosts the cosmic ruler, the sovereign over every and all powers in the world and assumes, this is the heart of faith for the child of God, she assumes that the broken heart of a relatively obscure woman in the hill country matters to him. She believes that her prayers are worth raising to the living God, that he is careful and concerned about her That the cares of her heart are real. They are not imaginary. They are not phantoms. And that the God she prays to. Represented in the presence of that tabernacle among God's people. That He's here. And He hears me when I pray. And He will answer in His good time. For He is the Lord of hosts. And nothing is possible to shorten His arm. He will raise it to save and deliver. And rejoice His people in His time. Number two, God remembers Hannah. It says in verse 19 that she conceived a son. In verse 19 it says, Elkanah knew his wife and the Lord remembered her. Elkanah had been knowing his wife for many years. This was not anything new. The Lord hadn't forgotten Hannah was. He hadn't lost her, as we might say. Maybe you said this morning, I really meant to do that before we came to church, but I just forgot. That's not what it means here when it says that He remembered her. Remember is, if you have a highlighter or lipstick or something, circle it, underline it. Remember is a covenant word. When it says that God remembered It's His action according to His covenant promises to rescue those who are suffering or downcast. God is moving. When the Bible says God remembers something, watch. He's moving. He's acting. He's doing something on behalf of His people. Be prepared. And at least one thing stands out here. God is sovereign over the wounds of the women He created. Children are His gifts. They are His miracles. They are not simply the activity of a biological process. He is the one who creates them. And it says in verse 20, She called his name Samuel, because I have asked him of the Lord. There's a play on words here. Samuel's name actually has in it the Hebrew word to ask. And she's reminding herself, I asked the Lord for him and he answered. He gave me my request. So she conceived a son in verse nineteen, in verses twenty-one to twenty-three, she weaned her son. The time for the yearly trip to Shiloh had come, and Samuel was young. And Hannah says, "I'm not going to go this time." And you think, "Oh no, here it is. This is the weakness of the spirituality of the times. People get what they want, and they they get comfortable. They stay home. They don't go to worship. That's not what's happening here." She says to her husband, "Dear, I'm not going this year." Because if I go, I'm just going to have to bring him right back. And I promised the Lord that I would give him to the Lord all the days of his life. That a razor wouldn't cut his head and that for as, as long as he belongs to me, he belongs to the Lord. He owns him. He's his. She says, I'll take him after he's weaned. That he may appear before the Lord and remain there in his presence forever. Forever. Imagine all the motherly instincts that are firing off for Hannah for the first time. For the first time, she's changing diapers. For the first time, she's dealing with sleepless nights, not because she wants a baby, but because she has a baby. And that baby's crying and needs nursing. All the love and affection, the tiredness and the joy. Can you hear her saying as she spoke to Elkanah, My dear Samuel, I love you, Son. I prayed for you. For many years, I prayed that God would give me a son. That He would fill my womb. That He would do the miracle that only He can do. And He gave me you, dear Son. I prayed for you for years. And now I pray for you. That you would belong to the Lord all the days of your life. That everything that you do and say would be for His glory. And one day, Son... Dear little son, in my arms, I'm going to take you to Shiloh, and we will worship before the Lord. And I will leave you there with Him, but you will forever be in my heart, and you will be with the Lord. Now canna responds in verse 23, and it seems kind of odd, maybe as some responses from husbands are. He says, "You do what seems best. Only let the Lord establish." his word what is he saying what word what promise what what covenant language is he using here he's saying may the lord do his purposes in our life and in our family's life and specifically regarding samuel may this dear son of ours may god do his covenant promises according to you and to him you made a vow to the lord And husbands were responsible at this time to affirm the vow or to break the vow. And he is saying, may the Lord do everything that he purposed in our family to do. And would he do it through you? And would he do it through that little baby? Our son, Samuel. May the Lord be faithful to his people. One commentator said that this is the beginning of the story of God's word working through Samuel in Israel. That Elkanah had no idea what he was speaking and what faithfulness God would do for his people through this little baby boy. So she conceived a son in verse 19. In verses 21 to 23, she weans that son. And in verses 24 to 28, she commits her son to the Lord. And she goes, not with a small offering, it was actually three times bigger than what was legally and actually required of God's people. She goes with three bulls and a full ephah of flour and a skin of wine. Three times more than was necessary. This was a display of Elkanah's means, but it was also a display of the gratefulness of a mother's heart. Come on, dear, we're going to Shiloh. Let's make sure we've got preparations. I'm excited to go this year. May we go and worship before the Lord. Can we take this? Well, certainly dear, we can. And I'm excited to go with you. Let us go and worship before this God who has answered your request. And so they go and slaughter a bull and they take little baby Samuel. He's still young. He was probably about three, but we can't really guess. We don't know how old he was. But they take him to this man. He's never met Eli. And... You hear the joy in Hannah's heart when she says, My Lord, as you live, I was the woman who was here. I was praying. My lips weren't moving and you said, Have you been drinking, ma'am? Have you come into the church drunk? And she says, No, I've had neither wine nor strong drink. But I've been pouring out my heart in anguish before the Lord. All of those years before Hannah was doing that, and she says, I'm here, I'm back. And this little boy is the answer to my prayer. The Lord gave me the petition of my heart. And I am here making good on the vow that I made to the Lord that I would give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 2, you see a song, a prayer from Hannah as she worships before the Lord, gives her son. Her only son, Samuel, for the service of the Lord. She praises God. It reminds you of Mary's song in Luke, the Magnificat. It reminds you of the bells of Christmas. This woman who believed by faith and trusted that the Lord would answer her prayers, and He did. So number one, God works in the details. Number two, God remembers Hannah. And lastly, number three, God provides For his church. God provides for his church. I'm going to give you two ways. There are lots more. But one, he hears the prayers of his people. He sees the anguish of people who mourn, and he gives them the gift of faith. And I want to ask you as we read this story, and maybe it's a a rereading for you of many times, many years of faithfulness studying God's word. Did you catch it? Was Hannah at peace? Only because Samuel was born in this story. Wasn't it possible that God could be faithful to her. And yet say no to giving her Samuel. That he would say I can be enough. I am on the throne. I am the king. I am your God. I will take care of you. I will provide. Even if your womb does not give you a son. I will care for you. Notice in verse 18. Before she has a baby. Before it says that she conceived because God remembered her, it says in verse 18 that she went away and she ate and her face was no longer sad. I believe this is a a part of the story that we should underline and highlight and write down for ourselves because she responded in faith before the answer to prayer came. Much like we saw last week with Abraham and Sarah. When they were waiting and had prayed for years and had given up hope. Were not going to have a baby. And they hoped against hope. This wasn't their first trip to Shiloh. You've got to remember that. It went on for years. And here she is another time at the tabernacle. And she's responding in faithfulness. Even though her rival is goading her at every turn. She responds in faith and in prayer. She doesn't turn her heart against God. She turns to God. And many times as we as God's people wait for an answer to prayer, for the pain to relent, for an obstacle to get out of the way, we pray in faith even if God says no. And there was a chance here. God could have said no. But Hannah continued to pray. She believed the Lord would be faithful and she left that day believing in hope. She finally was able to have a release and peace and rest. God hadn't answered yet, but she believed that He heard the cry of her heart. That it was real. That He would would actually do it. Do you do that? Do you have the faith to do that? Do you have that gift of faith from the Lord? I don't mean the inner unction to just be able to drive through and push through. Isn't that what you're supposed to do in difficult times? If you're an athlete, you don't give up right when things get tough, when your breathing is hard, when your legs are aching. What does the coach tell you to do, young people? You've got to keep going. That's not the inner drive I'm talking about. I'm talking about a push by faith that the Lord gives us. It's His strength, His grace, His movement, His power. By His strength, you and I, day in and day out, Against all hope, we keep reading our Bibles even when the Word of God feels dead to us. We keep on crying out to God even though our prayers seem to be hitting deaf ears. We keep on coming to church and gathering as God's people even when it seems they don't understand when we let a little bit of our heart open. We let them hear what we're struggling with. We keep coming back. We keep on serving others even while we carry our sorrow with us as we go. And we keep on sowing the seeds of truth and grace into our barren souls, reading the Word of God, studying His Word, hiding it in our hearts, waiting for the day, not when He gives us the petition of our heart, but waiting for the day when He will call us home and we will be complete and we will be with Him forever. Waiting for the day when we see and no longer live by faith. Andrew Peterson says in his song, After the Last Tear Falls, based in Revelation, where it says that He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death. He says, In the end we'll see how the tears that have fallen were caught in the palms of the giver of love and the lover of all. And we'll look back on these tears as old tales. Do you believe that? Do you believe and hope that when Jesus promised to wipe away every tear from our eyes, every sorrow of our heart, he promised to do it and that he would. He provides for his church. We don't always understand, but he does it. Though here in First Samuel chapter one, the spotlight is on Hannah, it is God who is at the center stage. He's the one working and moving, and this story is not about finding a good, godly example to follow. If you just pray, God'll answer. If you just pray, He'll give you deliverance. He'll give you a child. He'll take care of your financial need. He'll, he'll put food on the table. No. The story of 1 Samuel chapter 1 is written so that we see that God is working in the world to accomplish His purposes, to bring forth His kingdom, and to magnify the glory of His name. That's the first reason and way that God provides for His church. But the second is that His universal reign encompasses kingdoms and nations, but also the normal, domestic, everyday life and prayers of people. In a mysterious, unexplainable way, God answered that desperate cry of Hannah's heart. And simultaneously, working in concert with that pregnancy, He was moving in a mighty way to fulfill His covenant promise to His people. He brought forth Samuel, a son of Israel, at a time when the Word of God was rare among His people, when it wasn't said very much, thus saith the Lord. God raised up Samuel, who would serve him as a prophet, as a priest and a judge, and his ministry among God's people was directed towards repentance from sin and turning from idolatry to serve God. Look at the end of Hannah's prayer. 1 Samuel chapter 2. These are the words that she prayed. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven He will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. Hannah was carried along by God's Spirit praying this prayer to the Lord. She was doing what a faithful person does. She was looking to Him even though she didn't have an answer yet. She finds herself caught up in something much greater than simply having a son. Under God, her son would deliver Israel from her oppressors and establish a kingdom that would one day cover the entire earth. Hannah had simply prayed for a son, but in return, God answered with something much bigger. Samuel as a young boy, even. Just the next chapter as we look at this book of 1 Samuel. Samuel heard of the Lord's judgment on Eli as a young boy. Words that he didn't understand. He was the anointer of kings in Israel. He was the one that anointed Saul and David. The throne on which God had promised the true David would sit on. The almighty righteous king would rule and reign over his kingdom. And Samuel, this answer to prayer, had a part to play in this great drama of God and his love for his people. For this child I prayed was Hannah's delight to say, and I give him to the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank You that we too do not serve a tribal God who only is relevant in one corner of the world, but all of the universe is Your theater. All of the kingdoms and kings of the world serve Your bidding. And Lord, we thank You and praise You That you bring all of these things under your control and under your authority and power to bring forth your kingdom. And as we celebrate on this second Sunday of Advent, may our hearts be awakened to the fact that you are moving and working and living. That Jesus sits on the throne having accomplished everything that you sent him to do. And may we rejoice to know that one day he is coming again in a second Advent to bring us home to heaven with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn in your hymnal to number 225 as we sing together, Once in Royal David's City. to the Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to give now our tithes and our offerings. And we dedicate them to you as giving back to you a portion of what you have so richly given to us. And we pray, Lord, as we commit them to you, that you would use them for the sake of the spread of the name and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. And we pray, Lord, that as we participate in this act of worship, that we would do so joyfully from a heart of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, oh, of our Lord from Romans chapter 15. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.